kind of finished up our introduction last week to uh, church history. We talked about the different things that were going on at the time. We uh, talked about the uh, the rule of Rome, the things that were a lot, many of the things that were happening. We talked about some of the the philosophical belief systems that were in place, such as the Epicurean uh, belief system. Uh, from that came uh, this idea of hedonism. Uh, if it feels good, do it. As long as we are happy, that is uh, what we want. And so, uh, uh, you know, that was that was one of the belief systems prior to the coming of the church that kind of set the stage for the introduction of Christ into the world. Another uh, philosophy was Stoicism. There was no, uh, you had no... Uh, Feeling one way or the other for bad or for good, for pain or for for comfort, you you, you know you just didn't have a have a response to that. That uh, also was a um, was a uh, philosophy that was happening two or three hundred years prior to Christ's coming. And when we look at these philosophies, it's under un, it's important to understand how they kind of formed the mindset of the world prior to Jesus coming into the world and and what the world was looking at and what they were expecting. Of course, we're talking those outside of the Jewish religion. Obviously, the Jewish religion was looking for that Savior to come that was prophesied, but, but you had all these pagan religions. You had the old Mediterranean paganism. They were a very traditional uh religious sect and they were very much similar in their not their theology obviously but their uh their demonstrations of their religious rites as uh, much like the catholic church they had a lot of pomp and circumstance and uh, uh many of them were uh, most of them were very superstitious pantheistic monotheism um, God is in everything. He is the universe. He's in a rock you pick up. All those sorts of things. And so, uh, uh, the, the problem with a lot of these things was they did not make, uh, the connection between religion and life, so to speak. There was no real, uh, association with morality. Just because you were religious didn't mean you were moral. And in fact, you usually weren't moral. Most people were not moral outside of those who practiced <clears throat> the Jewish religion. And so, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the culture of the world was in bad shape. And so, uh, that kind of sets the stage for, uh, what would happen when the church came into existence. <clears throat> We ended last time on uh, this idea, if we're going to understand church history, we, we kind of have to start with the church, don't we? We've kind of laid the groundwork of what was happening prior to uh, Christ coming into the world. And so now let's turn our attention a little bit about the church itself. When we, when we look at church history, uh, I think one of the, the questions or one of the reasons that we look at church history is we ought to question ourselves, what should the church be today? What should the church be in the present? Are we, do we need to improve some things? Do we need to uh, look at what God has set forth and say, well, you know, in the modern time it could do a little better if we did this or if we did that. 
Maybe we're being too traditional or maybe we're just a little bit boring and we need to spice things up just a little bit. Those are thoughts that go through the minds of the religious world. You go up uh, Hickson Pike, uh, headed toward Hickson, and uh, what, what's the, uh, is it a Lutheran church on the left, the one where they're always directing the traffic on Hickson Pike? Is that Abba House? No, 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 this is just up the road here where, uh, it's a Presbyterian, okay. <clears throat> have you ever noticed their uh, sign? They have different services. You got that contemporary service? You got that traditional service? Now guess what? Of course you're not surprised. There are congregations of the Lord's people that do that same thing. If you want the traditional old boring service, show up at 8 o'clock. Right? Now if you want the more exciting contemporary service, show up an hour later. And if you really want that uh, progressive service, we'll, sh- we'll do that in an hour after the, the other one. So what's the church supposed to be today? Do we need to look at church history and say, okay, we need to learn from the mistakes of history? Well, I think I think that's reasonable to say we need to learn from mistakes of history. But uh, what's the old saying? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? And so uh, uh, I think when we look at the church, the church is often described and it's clearly expressed to us in the Bible, the church is the bride of Christ, right? Uh, Romans 7, 4, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. And so I don't think there's any question about the church remaining in existence until Christ returns because we can go all the way back to Daniel chapter 2 and it is that kingdom which will last forever, right? Last for that period of time God has designated it to last in this world, which is to the end of the world, right? Matthew 28, verse uh, uh, 20. So it's not a question of whether it will last. It's never going to be destroyed. The question is, in what shape will will the Lord find it when He comes? Have we looked back over the history of the church over the past 2,000 years? And really, it's not even people who are changing things. They're not looking over the past 2,000 years. They're looking over the past 50 years, aren't they? And they're saying, boy, my mom and dad, they're just so boring and so stiff that we need, you know, what's wrong with the little hand clapping or praise team? You know, that way we don't have to call it a choir. We just can, uh, you know, have a praise team and it's not a choir. Or we may just have some, uh, uh, some, uh, microphones kind of throughout the, the congregation where all the best singers can sing into them and then it sounds really good. You know, what's wrong with all that? What's wrong with, with those things, right? What's wrong with having a children's church? Because you can't pay attention to a bunch of screaming kids. Anyway, send them off down to the basement and let someone go watch them for an hour and we'll worship up here however we want to. What's wrong with those things? Uh, you know, we, we separate in classes, don't we? Well, there's a difference between a Bible class and a worship period, isn't there? Everything we do is not worship. Just because we talk about God doesn't mean we're in an act of worship. There are five acts of worship. Clearly defined in the Bible, right? Uh, singing, praying, uh, preaching, the Lord's Supper, and giving of our means. Because we're in a Bible discussion with someone doesn't mean that's an act of worship, right? We never can espouse error, but everything we do is not worship. 
because we name God's name doesn't mean we're in worship of God. <clears throat> we may simply be uh, inviting someone to come to the services of His church. So what are we going to do? Are we going to update some things? Or are we going to kind of keep them the same way? Uh, you know, what kind of shape is, is God going to find us when Christ returns? Huh? A lot of them not going to be in, a lot of them not going to be in too good a shape. That's sad, isn't it? You have congregations of the Lord's people throughout the world particularly in our nation, that have whole congregations going apostate. Maybe they should have studied a little church history, right? <clears throat> Ask any, any man of war, anyone who's ever directed a nation in time of war, if you don't pay attention to the history, what, what do they say? You're doomed to repeat those same mistakes. <clears throat> We've got a lot of mistakes that we can read about in the history of the, uh, the church. The church established on Pentecost. Now, unless we believe that the bridegroom will find his bride living in dishonor, living in fornication with the world, we cannot measure the church by human standards. That, I think, maybe is the root of the problem. Measuring what we feel like we ought to be as the church, measuring it by human standards. <clears throat> and we're not even talking about Christian standards, right? We're talking about worldly standards. That's what, that's what has happened. That's why the church fell away in the first place, wasn't it? That's why there was need to have a restoration movement. We'll talk all about those things later. But people began to measure up what the church ought to be by what the world wanted. How does that make sense? Doesn't make any sense, does it? And so, uh, uh, when the bridegroom groom returns, he's going to find his church. Not just because it has his name on the door. He's going to find his church being faithful, wearing his name, wearing the clean robes that were washed in his blood. He's going to find his church worshiping properly, calling on His name only, living up to His standards and not the standards of the world, living in faith and being a chaste virgin. virgin. Now, when He comes back, is the world going to be overcome with sin? Well, it's overcome with sin. It's been overcome with sin. Throughout the history of the world, for the most part, it has been overcome with sin. And so, why should His return be any different? But, the difference is this. What shape is His church going to be in? His church is going to be in good shape. Now, there are going to be a lot of congregations who claim to be His church who are going to be in very poor shape. The world may be overcome with sin, but the church will be wearing the robes of the righteous, period. No question about it. Now, that puts a responsibility on the individual, doesn't it? Am I going to be affiliated? Am I going to be associated? And those really aren't even the right words, are they? Am I going to be a member of that church? And what does it mean to be a member of the Lord's church? Maybe we need to go back and look at the standards of the Bible, not the standards of the world, right? 
What does it mean to be a member of the Lord's church? Well, I, I show up. It, pardon me? Oh, I'm sorry. I show up on Sunday mornings. I might even come to Bible class. Probably will come back tonight. And if nothing very important comes up, I'll be here on Wednesday night. Is that, is that the, is that what it means to be a member of the Lord's church? Huh? Yeah, and if you only have part, what's that mean? You're not getting it done, right? So, that's not what it means, is it? Do members of the Lord's church need to be gathering together as the church when the saints meet? Absolutely. And it's not an attendance problem. It's a heart problem, isn't it? It's a heart problem. I don't think we ever need to preach on an attendance problem. We need to teach on a heart problem. You know, how does the great physician uh, care for someone with a heart problem? He gives them the message, the prescription on how to overcome that heart problem. When we go to the doctor, anyone here ever had a heart problem? Yeah? What did the doctor say? Do this, this, and this. Had a friend of mine one time in Memphis. <clears throat> Went to the doctor, and the doctor had him on some medications, and he was doing pretty good, and he got to feeling good, and he said, You know what? I'm sick and tired of taking this medicine. I've never understood that, but that's what happened. So he threw them all in the garbage can. He's probably taking 10 or 15 pills a day. And he coming to pee a dying. And so he went back to the doctor and he said, well, are you, what about all this? Man? He said, well, I quit taking it six months ago. He said, you're not as smart as you look. That's the truth, isn't it? Not as smart as you look. The physician gave a prescription to, to fix his health, to continue his life, and he chose not to do it. Well... He repented. He got back on the medication. Right? That's what we have to do in the in the spiritual world, isn't it? So we have to uh, uh, make sure that we're following after the prescription that the great physician gives. The problem in the church has always been a heart problem. Always been a heart problem. Hasn't been an information problem, has it? Hasn't... Uh, uh, been an understanding problem, it's a heart problem. God tells us very accurately what He needs to be done and what He expects to be done. And people, <coughs> excuse me, look at it and they say, well, I don't know, I don't really like that. You know, I was speaking with a lady a while back and I was inviting her to church. She'd been here a couple times. And uh, I don't know what member of the denomination she is and Saw her a while back, and I said, well, come back and visit with us. She said, you know, I really enjoyed it, but well, I just really like having music when I worship. I said, well, we have music. We, we have music. We just don't use instrumental music. We have the, the melody of the tune, and nothing's more beautiful than a cappella singing, in my opinion. I love music. Don't get me wrong. I love instrumental music. I listen to classical music almost every day. You know, Kathy's probably tired of that, but, uh, you know, I listen to cat cl- uh, classical music uh, every day. I think it makes my brain grow a little bit. I need all the help I can get. But I don't want it when I'm worshiping God. Because that's not what the church did. That's not what 
they were told to do. That's not what God expects. So it's a heart problem. So how? what are we going to do? Are we going to, uh, you know, allow the problems of the world to come in and, and change what we're doing? Because when we look at church history and we begin to study the falling away, that's exactly what happened. They began to want to be more like the world. But is it, did that only happen during the Christian dispensation? Oh, let's go back to uh, the Jews, right? They went into the land of Canaan, and what did they want? It would be like the nations around them, right? That's how they came up with Saul, first king of Israel. Samuel was upset. God told Samuel, don't be upset. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So what do we do when we reject what has always been the case throughout the Bible history? And now all of a sudden we want to change it a little bit. Are we rejecting our our parents who are so boring or our grandparents who are so boring? No, they don't need to have their feelings hurt. Samuel didn't need to have his feelings hurt. People who do that reject God. Have no respect, whether intentionally or not. And I'm not saying that People who are members of denominations are intentionally trying to be disrespectful to God. I don't believe that for a second. I think the hierarchy within those organizations know better. <clears throat> but the average member is not being intentionally disrespectful, but they still are being disrespectful, right? I remember the first time I went to Indonesia, I was talking with Barry Hatcher. We, we Every once in a while, we kind of support him, and, and uh, we were sitting at, <clears throat> at a... A little place in in the airport waiting on a on a flight, and I pointed to something, and I was I said, "What's that?" And he said, "Whoa!" He said, "Don't do that." I said, "Do what?" He said, "Don't point your left, don't point, period, but especially don't point your left hand." He said, "That's just like a a, a vulgar uh, gesture in our nation." You know, I didn't mean I wasn't intending to be disrespectful, but it, you know, I, I think I think I might have pointed at somebody. You know, and uh, would, was that disrespectful to that person? Well, if he had seen it, it would have been, right? I didn't intend it to be that way. So I wasn't being malicious in my pointing, right? I, I've got at least enough uh, uh, tact about me to point when they're not looking, right? <laughs> but because someone is... Uh, not doing what God wants them to do doesn't mean they're malicious in their intent, but it still nonetheless means they're not doing what God wants. And that's what we want to overcome. And that's why we want to study these things. Uh, you know, when the world refers to the Lord's church in derogatory terms, that doesn't mean that's how God views it, is it? And I think maybe that has been some of the pressure over the years, especially within the last, you know, hundred years. Really not even that long. Pro, you know, back in the 50s, uh, the church was really growing. The 40s and the 50s, early part of the 60s, and then it kind of has been in a nosedive. So, uh, you know, last 60 or so years, uh, you know, I think that we've been more concerned with what everybody around us thought. This political correctness... I don't agree with political correctness. Uh, I, d- I definitely don't agree with being rude, but political correctness isn't not being not rude. Okay? Obviously, we can say it, you can say the truth in such a way that is rude and unacceptable. 
makes it wrong, right? But I think we, we have allowed the pressures of the world to come in and uh, uh, cause a problem within the church. Any comments? Questions? <clears throat> During the time of the apostles, God had people <clears throat> in Babylon. You know, we look at the Revelation, and that was a, a word used for uh, the the world, the worldliness, because Babylon was known for its sinfulness. God has always had people in the world, but His people have never acted or behaved like the world consistently, right? That doesn't mean they didn't make a mistake from time to time and have to repent and, and change the things they were doing. You know, we look at David, a man after God's own heart, and he made some grievous errors, right? I can look into my life and I can say, boy, I've made some big time mistakes, but, uh, you know, I want to walk in the light and when I recognize the things that that I do, that's when a person is supposed to repent of those things, right? And change that. Uh, I think that that's why Jesus said to come forth, come out, right? We see that in Revelation 18. Come out. Come out from among them. And uh, uh, He wanted His people to remain pure. Don't allow <clears throat> the things going on in the world to affect the way I'm going to obey God and to worship God and to do the things God wants because that's a big issue and a big problem. I think the same is true today. Uh, we cannot allow the influences of the world. Someone says, <coughs> excuse me, someone says, well, you know, uh, we go into a congregation. I've preached in some congregations in the South have maybe 20 people. Okay? Uh if they had 70 people, that would have been a a bumper uh, crop of folks in the last 10 years, okay? And uh, someone says, well, well, look at that little congregation. They're never going to amount to anything. A close friend of mine made a statement one time. I love her. She made a statement about uh, the congregation up in Grimsley, Tennessee, where uh, Joe Masters, he'll be here speaking on our summer series where he preaches, They've all, they, you know, for the last several years, they've run about 30, something like that. At a high point in their history, 80. And uh, uh, this woman told him, said, that little congregation down there is never going to amount to anything. Well, according to who? According to who? Uh, are we basing our success on numbers? Well, in part, I mean, I think that, that uh, you know, we need to be a little concerned about that. But here's the thing. If a congregation is living like God wants it to live and operating the way God wants it to operate, it is the size that it needs to be. That doesn't mean we stop and we say, okay, well, you know, we're what, such such number, I guess we can relax a little while. We never relax. We always keep working. But what standards are we using? That caused a problem in uh, the church. And that goes all the way back to the time of Paul, right? Paul and John, they fought against... Gnosticism that was just absolutely tearing up the church. Prior to that, he was fighting against those Judaizing Christians, wasn't he? Wanting to change the gospel to fit what they were comfortable with. You know, and, and that now that goes back to the example of I asked the lady to come, come and be with us. Well, I just really enjoy the instrument in our worship. That's what she was comfortable with, right? Well, because we're comfortable with something doesn't mean God is comfortable with it. And I go back to the 
to the example of offering a sacrifice, right? God said it was a a sweet savor, a sweet smell. They were burning the whole carcass of that animal. Nothing stinks worse than burning hair. Okay? That was had to have been a terrible stench. But why was it a sweet smell or a sweet savor? It's done in obedience, wasn't it? God said, do this. The people did it, and He appreciated that. It was it, it, it honored Him for who He really is. And so we have to be very careful about allowing those things to happen. Now, uh, <clears throat> God has revealed to all people during this Christian dispensation, and this has been going on now for almost 2,000 years, hasn't it? Christ was about... 33 years old, so he was born in about 3 or 4 A.D. So, uh, you know, somewhere around 37 A.D., the church was established. We're in 2019. We're getting pretty close to 2,000 years, aren't we? God has revealed throughout this almost two millennia how we are to identify the church, how we are to recognize what God wants us to do, how we're to say which church... Quote, quote, which church, right? That never was a question in the first century, was it? No one ever asked the question, which church do I need to join? There was only one church. That was Christ's church. That was the church that was established on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And so that never was a question until people started meddling in what God had established. And... So he's revealed how we're to identify, how we're to behave, and in, in the things that are supposed to happen. <clears throat> Let's start our in-depth study right now. We've talked a little bit about it. We've talked about uh, the things going on in the Roman Empire. We've talked about the things going on in the world, you know, hundreds of years prior to Christ's return. And we look in Galatians 4, verse 4. And we're very familiar with that passage. And it talks about in the fullness of time. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, Christ came into the world at the appropriate time when it was full. Uh, it wasn't going to be a better time, right? You can't get any more full than full. And if you want a, a glass of water and you're thirsting to death, does it get better than full? No, you want every drop of it, don't you? And if you start trying to put more in it and you're causing... Water to go into that cup, it, when you get finished, it will have sloshed some of it out and it's not full. So they couldn't go any further into history, into the future. It was the time was right, right then. There was never a better time for Christ to come into the world. I think that the sum of the Bible can be stated like this. Christ is going to come. He came. He's going to come back. And I think that from the beginning to the end, that's what the sum of the Bible is. One person described the fullness of time this way. He said the patriarchal age was the starlight. The mosaic age was the moonlight. John the baptizer was the twilight just before the dawn, and Christ is the sunlight. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. I think that's a pretty good... Uh, description. If we had to pick someone 
who impacted this world more than anyone else, who changed the things about this world, who would we choose? If it weren't Christ, who would it be? Our calendars are based on His life and death, right? Uh, the world's laws are based in God's laws. You know, if there's a law that says don't kill your neighbor, where'd that come from? Well, that came out, that came from God, didn't it? If we have a law that says, uh, you know, don't steal from your neighbor, don't tell a lie, we get up in court, how many of us have ever been to court, testified in court? I've been there and they tell you to, you used to put your hand on the Bible, now you just raise your right hand. And, uh, I, I, I was in court one time, we put her, put your left hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What? So help me God. Right? They leave that so help me God part out now, but that's what it's based in, right? When a, a president is sworn into office, what's he do? Puts his hand on the left Bible, raises his right hand. When a, a Supreme Court justice is sworn into office, puts his left hand on the Bible, raises his right hand. Every, every office that I'm aware of does that. And, uh, <clears throat> at least on, on a federal and state level. And so, everything can be traced back to God. I think, uh, Christ, the God-man is the central point in the history of this world. He's the main point. He's the objective, right? We go back and we look at the patriarchal times and we read in Job. What did, what was Job yearning for and wanting so badly? That daysman, that mediator, right? That's someone that can come between him and God and plead on his behalf to God. He said, I don't have one, but I will have one. We come into the, to the law of Moses. Well, Moses couldn't save you. It, it was to teach us how bad sin is, right? We had to be faithful to the law of Moses, had to be faithful to the patriarchal law, but when Christ died, He's who saved those under those laws. God's plan, Ephesians 3.11, began to unfold at a very particular time in history. The language was common. The location was right. But why was the period of the Romans the optimal time for the Messiah to come into the world? Let's consider a few things about Rome. What about the government? Rome was in power from 753 B.C. until 1433 A.D. That's a long time. That's well over 2,000 years, right? That was at the end of the Middle Ages, uh, 1453. Uh, We look at the lineage of the Roman rule. You start with Augustus, 27 B.C., and we're talking about, uh, you know, the uh, what they would call and refer to as the emperors when it really became powerful. You had Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero, Galba, Otho, Vitellius, Vespasian. And by the way, Vespasian was uh, the, uh, the one whom... Uh, um, Josephus was connected to. Uh, yet Titus, or no, let's see, it wasn't Vespasian. It was, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll think about it here in a minute, or next time. Domitian, Nerva, Trahan. Now, there was a benefit 
to the central government of Rome. Why was it the, the, the best time? You had this central government with the strength Rome had. If you have a very strong world, now this is, we're talking about the world ruler, right? We're not talking about multiple world powers. We're talking about the power of the world. And what did that offer? The fullness of time. Peace. Near universal law. Good road systems. Travel was the best it had ever been. And if you're Paul, you need some, you need a way to travel that's not going to take you, you know, ten years to get there. Now, the road system, they had 50,000 miles of military road and 200,000 miles of secondary roads. That's unheard of at that time. It's just, just beyond comprehension. And of course, that promoted trade and it promoted travel. Where were they? The church was established in Jerusalem, which was part of the Roman Empire. All roads lead to Rome. Everybody's going in and out, coming through and around. If you wanted something, you went to Rome. And so that was what Rome offered the fullness of time. The world was made smaller because of that. What about today? Is the world bigger or smaller today than it was 20 years ago? Oh, it's a lot smaller, isn't it? A lot smaller. I remember in, not, in the 1950s, my dad went to South Korea during the, uh, uh, the Korean conflict. He took a boat. Took a long time to get there. I went halfway around the world in uh, 2009 and I got there a lot faster. Than what, and I went further than he ever could have, riding on a boat, right? And it's not comfortable. Flying's not comfortable either, don't get me wrong. But uh, it's shorter, and you don't have as much to put up with, right? And so uh, the world's smaller. The world's smaller. That means communication's better, right? I, I, I receive emails regularly. I received an email from a friend of mine from northeast India. They barely got electricity up there, but I receive email from him from time to time. You know, when the electricity's on, he'll send an email. You can talk to someone face to face, can't you? Talk to them face to face. I used to, uh, 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 Stephen, uh, no, Higley. We helped support him down in uh, Fort Oglethorpe when he was in New Zealand. They didn't have, they couldn't, didn't have phone. He couldn't call out of the country where he was at. But he could Skype me and I could talk to him, couldn't see him. But I could talk to him over Skype when he was in New Zealand. And so that made things better for communication purposes, didn't it? Now all those things were great, but we still had some problems. Some big problems, right? And that is some of the things that led to the church Falling away. It was a great time for the church to come into existence. It came into existence, but there was still a problem. Uh, Rome was built on slavery. In essence, that's how what Rome was built on. It was built on slavery. 
And uh, that brought about some problems, didn't it? Personal degradation. One human not being as worthy as another human. The slave was viewed as disgraceful and unprofitable. What? They did all the work. How's the slave considered unprofitable? Well, that's their mindset, right? On top of that, and you're not going to believe this, the taxes that were collected, the government wasted those taxes. Imagine that. What's changed? Nothing's new under the sun, right? That's what Solomon said. The government wasting tax money. Wow. Uh, now, there were two types of taxes. The, the annual tax and the direct tax. Now, the direct tax, guess who collected those monies? Publicans. Publicans. And so that caused a problem. Because they were, they made some of their living by inflating those direct taxes. What about the social order? Is there a big problem in the social order, wasn't there? Uh, there were extreme separation of classes. There was social injustice. What did God direct the Christians to do? Take care of the fatherless and the widows. If we're not taking care of the fatherless and the widows, I don't want to be that person standing before God having to answer for that. They didn't consider those things. They didn't consider those things. To take care of the fatherless and the widows, cut into their time, cut into their money, cut into their leisure, a whole myriad of things. And so the widows, the the orphans, the poor, they were oppressed in a whole lot of ways. Christians are to help all people, especially those of the household of faith. So, the world needed Christianity, right? The world needed Christianity. Uh, Jews were opposed to Rome because of three things. Taxes, slavery, and oppression. Man, I feel like that today, you know. I feel like I'm being oppressed and I'm paying way too many taxes and the government's wasting it. But anyway, we see all these different things. Uh, we're going to pick up next time talking about some of the moral conditions. And uh, uh, But let's end with this thought. We're, we're, we're talking about the, the, the reason that the Jews opposed Rome. Uh, you could become a slave by uh, uh, four different ways. You could be conquered. A slave was a spoil of victory. You go in, you collect everybody. Uh, children of the slave class were born into slavery. You'd be born a slave. Do you recall the, uh, the soldier <clears throat> who asked Paul if he was freeborn? He said, I bought my freedom. Paul didn't have to buy his freedom. Uh, Exposed to children. If one didn't want a child, they'd leave them outside to die from the elements. And then what would happen? Someone would come by, take that child, and that child would grow up a slave. Didn't matter how he was, how he was born. Or debt. If you owed a debt, you could be sold into slavery, you and your family. And that was one of the parables that Jesus talked about, wasn't it? The unforgiving servant. He uh, wanted to be forgiven, but he wouldn't forgive his fellow slave. 
Honest slavery was uh, honest labor was looked down upon as something bad. Rome was said to have wanted bread and circuses. They wanted to be fed and they wanted to be entertained and they didn't want to end the work. Right? George Bernard Shaw said, If a man was neither providing services or produces goods, they were either a beggar or a thief. The poorest of the people were given a dole or a handout. And so those are some of the things going on. And we won't talk again, we'll pick up next time. We won't talk about some of the moral conditions that that were happening and why it was so necessary for the church to come in. We're going to also talk a little bit more about some of these uh, mystery religions that were coming about and some of the answers they were trying to find through these religions, of which they were unable to do that. At any rate, thank you so much. We'll pick up here next time.